Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about the role of interventional radiology in colorectal cancer with Dr. David Madoff. Dr. Madoff is a professor of radiology and biomedical imaging and of medical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thanks, Anise. Um, It's great to be here. And uh, since our first discussion back in December of 2019, I think uh, the world has changed uh, tremendously. Boy, we could do a whole other show on that. Um, But uh, for those of you who have not met you through the radio waves as yet, tell us a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do. I am a practicing interventional radiologist with now more than 20 years of expertise in the field of interventional oncology. My specific area is in of clinical and research interests has been in treating patients with primary and metastatic liver cancer. However, I also do treat patients with lung and kidney cancer. So just briefly, um, having completed my radiology residency, I went to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston for my final years of training, as it was really the top program at the time for this field. At that time, they were doing cutting-edge work in various types of cancer, and I found myself intrigued by the pathophysiology of the liver. I then spent 10 really exciting years on their faculty and became extremely passionate about treating cancer by minimally invasive routes. So as I mentioned, I have uh, some, I had young children and a family, so I decided to move back to the New York area, and I spent eight and a half years at Weill Cornell Medical Center in New York City, where I served in the roles of Chief of Interventional Radiology, as well as Vice Chair for Academic Affairs. And in 2019, I was recruited to Yale to take on the role of Vice Chair for Clinical Research and Radiology. And in this role, I was tasked with really developing a uh, clinical research program. Now, Yale has always been a very strong clinical uh, powerhouse, but uh, it really needed a little bit of a kickstarting in terms of clinical research. They've had a large scientific research group, but not necessarily as much on the research side. So I've been fortunate in being able to really uh, delve deep into the clinical research aspects. And now we have a number of NIH-funded laboratories of young investigators. And in July of 2020, I also uh, became the uh, chief of interventional radiology here at Yale, and also serve as the director of SMILO's uh, Interventional Oncology Program. So, you know, some of us have heard about interventional radiology, and we we think about interventional radiology as being the people who, you know, kind of do things with catheters and x-rays, right? They take angiograms, uh, they they may put in stents, things like that. Um, Very... We may not be as familiar with interventional oncology. So so tell us a little bit more about that. Interventional oncology um, is a recent term. It's uh, an interventional radiology subspecialty that utilizes minimally invasive image-guided procedures to diagnose and treat patients with various forms of cancer. There are a number of benefits of what I would consider primary interventional oncology treatments. And of course, they include immediate 
tumorcidal effects or oncological efficacy, which really means that we know that the tumors are being effectively treated or killed by our techniques. They're also minimally invasive, meaning that most procedures are performed with moderate sedation and not general anesthesia, and they are typically performed in the outpatient setting. That is, patients typically go home the same day. And of course, this leads to lower costs and time efficiency. And lastly, um, because they are local, for the most part, we have minimal systemic side effects, meaning that the treatments are targeted locally without having the systemic effects usually thought of with intravenous chemotherapy. And because of this, and because patients can avoid a major surgery with prolonged recovery times, patients often have a better quality of life. And in some circumstances, in fact, patients can return to work within a few days after treatment. You know, that all sounds great. I'm sure that many of our listeners are thinking, geez, you know, if I can get out of big surgery and chemotherapy and get back to work in a couple of days and have fewer systemic side effects, all of that sounds perfect. Um, And yet not all patients are, are offered kind of interventional oncology to treat their cancers. So can you talk a little bit more about who might be the right patient to be considered for these kinds of procedures? Maybe give us some examples of what are the procedures that you perform and how do you select which patients benefit from this uh, as opposed to other other treatments? Today, uh, we're talking about um, interventional oncology for colon cancer. So the first thing I want to really state is that that, that interventional oncology does not treat the primary colon cancer. Rather, uh, we would treat the metastases from the colon cancer. uh, So for example, when they spread to the liver or to the lung. Now the goals of therapy uh, are really including a potential cure. We could perform procedures that can convert patients from resectable Um, from unresectable to resectable, and we also could offer options for palliation. And what I mean by palliation is that we can try to extend a patient's life, which is also known as survival, while trying to maintain uh, the best quality of life. So we have a number of different options that we can use, um, depending on the patient's, um, I guess, histology of disease, the number of tumors, the location of tumors, whether or not they are focused throughout the body or whether or not they are um, within a single organ. So some of the therapies that we can offer include um, thermal ablation, which for example is when a patient has uh, a very small tumor burden, meaning that there's uh, maybe one or two small tumors within the liver, and we can go uh, with a needle under imaging guidance and basically burn out the tumor. Unfortunately, uh, most patients don't uh, come in that fashion. They typically come with more advanced disease, such as patients that have multiple um, liver lesions uh, scattered throughout their liver. And in those uh, patients, we would perform what's called a regional therapy or a transarterial therapy, where we would snake a small tube from the uh, artery, typically in the groin, a tube uh, which is also called a catheter. And by doing angiography, we can then localize where the tumors are. And by doing so, we can infuse either chemotherapy or we can infuse um, radioactive beads and help kill the uh, the tumors in that fashion. Now, of course, 
What we do is typically done within the auspices of a multidisciplinary tumor board. So it's not typically that the patient would come to me directly, although that does occur. Um, we do this within the setting of a tumor board where we have a multidisciplinary, a very large multidisciplinary group, and they could include surgical oncologists, and that may uh, be colorectal, hepatobiliary, or general surgical oncologists. Uh, we have medical oncologists, radiologists, and that includes both diagnostic and interventional. We also have radiation oncologists and pathologists and many others who are involved in the management of these patients. So typically what would happen is that if a patient, for example, has colorectal liver metastases, patients would first be evaluated for what you would consider a quote-unquote curative surgery. And if they're not able to have that definitive surgery, they would most likely be seen by a medical oncologist. Um, sometimes with medical oncology, with systemic therapy, patients can get downstaged to having surgery. That means that a patient that um, would be initially considered unresectable or not able to have surgery could then have their tumors treated to a point where the surgeon could get out all of the viable tumors. There are times when patients have very, um, you know, have a great response to chemotherapy. However, there may be one or two small tumors that are still there. And in those cases, we would treat the ones that were not responsive to uh, the therapy that was offered by the uh, medical oncologist. So it sounds like, you know, this is really multidisciplinary decision making in that um, patients uh, may still require or benefit from surgery and chemotherapy, but that interventional oncology kind of adds yet another option, uh, sometimes something that can help to make things uh, resectable, so make surgery easier or may help to target uh, the systemic therapy in terms of medical oncology. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Now, um, one of the things I want to bring up that I guess I did not is that interventional oncology, although we do offer what you would call primary therapy, that means you're actually going in to treat the tumor specifically, interventional oncologists do a whole gamut of other types of procedures. And these, of course, include image-guided biopsy, which uh, without that may be very difficult to even treat a patient um, at all. Um, we also do a lot of the central venous access. So, for example, those patients that are getting systemic chemotherapy, they get their chemotherapy uh, via a port that's placed uh, under the skin, and that's done by an interventional oncologist. And then there's others where we deal with either post-operative complications, such as those that happen during surgery, or sometimes from the cancers themselves. And that's just really a short list of uh, what we do as interventional oncologists. Now, you know, when you talk about uh, things like uh, doing image-guided biopsies or um, putting in a port or perhaps, you know, draining an abscess after surgery, if that's a post-operative complication... For people who may be outside of large academic centers, oftentimes that may be done by a radiologist or an interventional radiologist. Um, but I guess uh, one thing that was kind of intriguing that you mentioned is that 
patients can come and see you uh, directly, uh, which is not something that we usually ascribe to interventional radiologists. So tell us a little bit more about how that happens. Yeah, thank you. That's a great question and something I definitely uh, wanted to bring up today. Interventional radiologists are similar to any other doctor that you would see in a medical office, and there are interventional oncologists that actually do the same kind of office hours as any other medical oncologist. I see, um, I I attend uh, pretty much four different uh, tumor boards. I attend the, uh, the lung, the gastrointestinal, the genitourinary, and the primary liver, and through those, I end up getting referrals from a lot of the members of the uh, of the multidisciplinary tumor board. Um, that being said, there are patients that self refer, and there are also others throughout the community that also will uh, directly refer patients uh, to my office. Now, I have office hours on Friday mornings, so I see about 10 or more patients, both for um, primary therapies, meaning that they're like new patients, and there are others that I see in follow-up, such as those that uh, have already had a procedure, and I want to follow them with imaging to see if either uh, any more therapy is necessary or if if, uh, I would send them back to their primary oncologist for their further evaluation. And so these are like office visits, not necessarily the day that you'll do the procedure, but they may be just consultations that you'll have with a patient to talk about the procedure. Is that right? That's exactly correct. It used to be in days gone by that you would really um, have the patient or the procedure scheduled by the um, referring physician. And like a technologist or or a technician, you would kind of do the procedure that they request. Nowadays, because we have so much uh, more breadth of uh, training, which means that uh, I can do ablations and uh, em- what you'd call embolizations, which is the uh, one of the transarterial procedures that I perform, I can then decide which one is safer and which one would give a better result than Previously, it used to be in many institutions that there were, for example, ablationists and those that only did embolization. And depending on where you would be seen, that may alter the type of therapy that you may receive. However, nowadays, with such uh, global training, like I said, um, I, as the uh, now consultant, are able to make that decision on my own. Um, however, I do. Uh, discuss this in full disclosure with uh, with the patient and their referring physician, so we're all on the same page. Perfect. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about interventional oncology and its role in, car- in colorectal cancer right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more with my guest, Dr. David Madoff. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital hosting an event in honor of Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, March 16th. Register at YaleCancerCenter.org or email canceranswers at yale.edu. There are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking, as smoking involves the potent drug nicotine. Quitting smoking is a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment, as it's been shown to positively impact response to treatments 
decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies and increase rates of survival. Tobacco treatment programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital. All treatment components are evidence-based, and patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications, as well as smoking cessation counseling that stresses appropriate coping skills. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. David Madoff. We're learning about the role of interventional oncology in colorectal cancer. Now, right before the break, David, you were talking about the fact that interventional oncology has really evolved as a specialty in and of its own right, and that um, and that you really form a part of this multidisciplinary team. Uh, you consult with patients um, and, and are able to kind of decide what interventional oncology treatment might be best for them. Now, right before the break, you were talking about two uh particular interventions, one called ablation um, and another called embolization, both of which could be used for liver metastases for colorectal cancer. And I was hoping that you could delve a little bit deeper into that. Tell us what the differences are between those two techniques and who might be right for one or the other. How do you make those decisions? Well, that's a great question. And um, they're very, very different types of procedures. Um, ablation is where you um, take a needle and you directly puncture into the liver from outside. Uh, these procedures are typically done under uh, general anesthesia, at least that's how I do them. Although I did say earlier that many of the uh, procedures that we do offer are under uh, moderate sedation and not general anesthesia. However, um, for this particular one, um, because we are heating up the tumors, um, to a very high temperature, and that's usually around 100 degrees Celsius, I feel more comfortable and the patient probably would feel more comfortable uh, not being awake for this. So typically, patients that are candidates for thermal ablation include uh, um, those that have very small volume disease. That means that a patient that uh, has maybe one tumor, maybe one or two centimeters in diameter uh, within the liver that really needs to be treated. Um, medical oncology or um, systemic chemotherapy may be very hard on the patient, and patients can often have what we call a chemo holiday. Um, alternatively, a patient may need surgery, and depending on the location of the lesion, uh, would require a very large surgery. So we would instead um, just, like I said, directly puncture into the liver under imaging guidance or uh, whether it be ultrasound or CAT scan and target the tumor and uh, burn it. Now, there's multiple uh, ways you can do it with different types of energy. They include radio frequency, which is the original energy, microwave um, there's also cryoablation, and now there's what's called irreversible electroporation, or IRE, where you can actually electrocute the, uh, the tumors, interestingly enough. Um, the one that we typically use nowadays would be, uh, would be microwave ablation. Now, 
after the procedure is over, I typically do a not, I, I typically do a contrast enhanced CAT scan to make sure that the entire tumor um, was treated. And like I said, we would see the patients back in about um, about a, a month. Um, embolization is very different. Embolization is where you're most likely trying to treat a region of the liver rather than one small area. Most patients that I see have what you would call bilobar liver metastases, meaning that they have lesions within both sides or both halves of the liver. These procedures are typically done with a tiny incision, usually a couple of millimeters, in the groin, and we snake a small tube or catheter into the artery, which is um, in the groin, and we snake it up into the artery that supplies the, uh, the liver. And we then do a series of angiograms, and we can determine whether or not these tumors are hyper or hypovascular. Hypervascular means that they're very vascular. Hypovascular uh, means that they're less vascular than the surrounding liver. And by doing this, we can then um, infuse, like I said, whether it be chemotherapy, we can do a procedure called chemoembolization, where we uh, mix chemotherapy with an agent that then blocks the blood supply, or we can do a procedure called radioembolization, where there are small microspheres that are impregnated with a radiation source. Usually, this source is yttrium-90. I don't want to get into all the details about the, uh, how that works, but um, by and large, we infuse the, uh, this, this material into the liver, and because the tumors are typically hypervascular, they soak up the beads or microspheres and treat the tumor without too much what you would call non-target embolization. Now, like I said, both of these procedures that I mentioned, ablation and radio or chemoembolization, are done typically as outpatient procedures. The latter procedure that I talked about, uh, embolization, is typically done with moderate sedation. And um, I think that uh, these procedures typically work very well in keeping the uh, treat- in keeping the tumors under control. And so, ha- have they been shown to uh, improve survival? Well, the answer to that question is still up in the air. I would say the answer is yes in appropriately selected patients. Now, there are prospective clinical trials that do show the benefit of, uh, of this in the setting of um, colorectal liver metastases where the tumors did not progress, okay, however, it, within the liver. However, um, there are a lot more um, there are a lot more reasons why patients fail than simply uh, what you did within the liver. Now, it is important to understand that when most patients fail, and I would say that two-thirds of patients with uh, metastatic colon cancer actually do have involvement within the liver, and it is the liver that is where patients actually succumb to the disease. So we typically do these in combination with other therapies. So there are confounding variables in there. So patients are already, like I said, getting systemic chemotherapy. They may be on biological therapy or immunotherapy. And there's a lot of work soon to be done on combining 
the different um, interventional oncology techniques with a lot of systemic techniques in uh, prospective clinical trials. Yeah, that's what that's what I was going to ask you next. Is it sounds to me like this is an area ripe for research, uh, where you know we could really study the the impact of various interventional techniques, especially in a world where we seem to be trying to de-escalate um, therapy. That is to say, to um, instead of using kind of a, a shotgun approach, be much more targeted, trying to minimize uh, side effects and so on. So tell us a little bit more about the future of interventional oncology and some of the exciting work that might be going on in terms of advancing this field. Yeah, so that's a great uh, question. And I love to talk about this. Uh, let's just say that there are continuously being advances in both medical device technology as well as imaging technology. And that helps us with better target the therapy as well as helping us guide um, and uh, treat the, the tumors uh, better, whether it be larger size ablation zones, uh, et cetera. Now, in terms of really the future, there's uh, always a discussion on artificial intelligence, which can um, help in interventional radiology. It used to be thought that artificial intelligence was only for diagnostic imaging and trying to determine or uh, understand or diagnose um, tumors on an image. However, we are now able to assess imaging features that then can predict which patients will respond to the therapy and which will not. And therefore, if we can make a prediction of which will not, we can then switch to therapies earlier in the patient's course and maybe give them a better chance of survival. I think that's one uh, really important um, uh, research area. Uh, there are others, as I mentioned, advancing technology. We're now involved with robotics. And I know that sounds like uh, more of a surgery type thing, but uh, there's been a lot of interest in the past few years on interventional radiology treatments and using robotics to quickly um, guide the needle into the tumors and make it much more safe, as well as we talked about uh, being in a location where you may not have interventional oncologists. Uh, you may uh, be able to further democratize the uh, techniques such as biopsies uh, or ablations. And then, of course, we're always in, uh, involved in discussing um, augmented and virtual reality. And that's also something that is coming down the pike in uh, interventional radiology. Now, there's also other interesting research we kind of mentioned, uh, doing immunotherapy combined with uh, transarterial therapies such as radioembolization. Um, we'll probably be doing that at Yale at some time in the near future. We're also involved in a clinical trial right now called DRAGON, in which we're looking at ways to uh, rapidly regenerate the liver so that patients um, can have uh, surgery and uh, not or have a better opportunity to have surgery with uh, less complications and uh, less prolonged uh, recovery times. So that's another uh, study that we're currently uh, working on here at Yale. And so as we think about these um, technologies, especially the newer ones that you mentioned using robotics and virtual reality and artificial intelligence, 
all of that sounds really cool and cutting edge. Um, and anytime we think about cool and cutting edge, we also think about cost. So can you tell us a little bit more about whether these um, technologies are covered by most people's insurances um, and, and the cost? Well, that's actually a great question. And again, it's something that uh, we're still working out. Now, robotics, for example, I don't believe that uh, in, that this is a procedure that's billed for. Okay. However, it does increase the throughput and workflow of uh, an interventional radiology department. So you really do um, get um, many more patients to be treated in a or, or diagnosed with a much uh, more rapid time frame. Um, the others are still in research development, so I would say that uh, a lot of that is actually covered by research. I wouldn't say that uh, it would actually go through insurance companies. Dr. David Madoff is a professor of radiology and biomedical imaging and of medical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at YaleCancerCenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.